before we start the podcast, I just want to start out in the normal way that we always start when we ask our guests a question. It's who are you and why do you love what you do? Can you answer that for us? Sure. I'm one of many of God's children. That's uh, my filter for everything that I do and everything that I attempt to say. So your answer is as simple as that. The reason why I was like holding my breath waiting is because, you know, anybody who spends, and I hope people who listen to this episode will spend time Googling who you are, researching, watching your videos, reading your books. Um, your, your resume is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life, quite honestly. And I told you that when we talked, um, it's long, it's expansive, it's unique in different things. I, I just, I love the fact that you just kept it very simple about what it is that you are um, and what you love. What drives you to do all those unique things and to constantly strive to be the best every day you wake up? I want the world to be a better place. And it's not necessarily something that I <laughs> wanted to do quite the way I'm doing it. I actually love research. I'm, I'm passionate about research and I was asked to go on tour um, by at the time retired General Colin Powell for something called America's Promise Alliance for Youth and I was at Hampton University and the general good friends with the president of Hampton University Dr. William R. Harvey and it wasn't something I wanted to do it wasn't something um, I even thought was cool in fact, I had to research uh, the general. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, was, at a, I was in a laboratory, <laughs> always just trying to make things better. And uh, I was being awakened at the same time every night for a while. And uh, I talked to my grandfather. My grandfather's a farmer and only has a third grade farm school education. And to this day, he's probably the wisest man I ever met. And I was being awakened, didn't understand it, say, hey, granddad, what's going on? And he said, uh, you're being called. And I said, I'm good, granddad, I'm tenured, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you're tenured in this life. And that changed everything for me. Mm. And this whole, this whole thing that makes sense to me because when I ever heard people talk about their calling, it was like, I'm called to do this. And, and it was all like a perfect fit. And it's, it wasn't something I wanted to do. So I had to go back and read some of my favorite verses to realize that not everybody that was called wanted to be. Yeah. And, and that's how I felt. I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm a classic introvert. It means nothing about being shy. It just means where we get our energy. Um, I love solitary types of things. Um, you know, we lost a relative uh, during the pandemic. However, I tell people, and, uh, you know, I tell them in advance that, you know, my condolences for anyone who's had really a really rough go at it during this pandemic. Uh, but as an introvert, it was uh, time for me to truly do some of the things that I really, really have been putting off, like reflecting and reading and writing. So um, this calling was bigger than me. It was go out and do seminars and master classes and tour 
and it was everything that I did not like. I love my family, so I don't like to be away from them. I love my bed with my wife. Um, and I jokingly tell people that you know I'm from the inner city projects, and I didn't see bed bugs until I started traveling. Hmm. So, so you know I tell them bed bugs are afraid of the projects. But anyway, but uh, this whole thing was uncomfortable for me, and it still is. It, every single time I do it, it's uncomfortable. Um, I have to kind of constantly remind myself to be grateful, grateful for the fact that I'm able to change lives in a much bigger way. I'm able to build bridges. Um, and just as I got used to the virtual classes, my schedule books up again with uh, in person. So here I am. So again, um, there could be worse problems. I think you probably spent a lot of time writing and before the pandemic traveling and during the pandemic talking, right? So before and after like uh, uh, speaking to groups upon groups, upon groups, upon groups. And I, I guess what I, what I find interesting is that like, while that yes is a different calling, I believe you probably answered the calling really early on. We started talking about your doctoral thesis that inspired you. I think there was something in you then, uh, that was telling you there's a their bigger purpose can you can you tell us like what that that thing was in your heart or your head that you know you had to go research that kickstarted all of this sure sure and actually the calling actually i think came a little bit before that but i'm going to come back to that research um in my church we had something called vacation bible school and what happens during the summer most kids get off no school but in Baptist faith, at least uh, here in Virginia, there's something called vacation Bible school. And what you do is you learn scripture and you go up before the church and you recite the scripture and there's a competition. Again, that's not something I wanted to do, um, but that was something that every young person in the church did. So um, I became really good at that. Um, but it was easy, in my opinion, just to recite something and then say a few classic lines, may the Lord bless the readings of these words and sanctify the truth within our hearts. Thank you. And I'd leave. Um, so that was the start of it, I think. Um, you know, nothing catches our creator by surprise. So fast forward to um, my master's thesis. Uh, my first master's thesis was on the school to prison pipeline. And the reason I wanted to investigate that is because it had been thrown around so much but there was no literature. So I'd mentioned it to my advisor. My advisor had a connection, and my advisor at the College of William & Mary had a connection with someone at Howard University, and they formed a research team. And I was on that research team, so I was able to use some of that data for my master's thesis, School to Prison Pipeline. And basically what it says is, what, what it postulated back then was, if school basically fails at a person of color, a black or brown person, then the consequences are much graver for black and brown students because what's left is a pipeline that's ready, able, and capable of making money from their um, institutionalization. So my research, basically I went around with my advisor and we interviewed inmates all over the country about their experiences in public education. And what we found was very, very interesting. 
we found that many of those inmates talked about not having a connection with the teachers. Many of those inmates felt like they were invisible and not acknowledged in, in the classroom. So then, you know, that's when people started talking about relationships, relationships. Well, our research didn't just talk about relationships. Relationships aren't enough. So if you're teaching me and we have good relationships, I like you, you like me, but what have I learned? So we got the conversation doesn't even come close to uh, just being about relationships. It's relationships, it's solid uh, content, purposeful engagement. So it's a gamut of things. But then what we found when we interviewed teachers, this was probably the most uh, fascinating for me at the time. When we interviewed teachers, we discovered that classroom management strategies and techniques was the least taught subject to new educators. So that started, when we published that and got it out, that started a big push in higher education to make sure that there was no teacher that would leave higher education and go into an academic setting without classroom management strategy. And when we talk about classroom management strategies, we talked about primarily expectations, that high achievement is framed in expectations. So basically what you see in me, you're likely to get. So the bias and all, everything like that was a part of that. We also found that rules don't govern relation, or rules don't govern behavior, relationships govern behavior. So it wasn't the fact that you put 20 rules on the board and said, sign them, take them home and bring them back. That was more about that relational component. So then let's fast, let's go a little farther and talk about the dissertation. The dissertation came out as a result of the biases that we discovered in the master's thesis with expectations. So if you look at me and you look at me and you say, hey, that's Adolph Brown, um, inner city kid. Um, early on, I was a fighter. I was a fighter because, in our, I mean, I, I was fighting by the time I was six. Well, um, we called our neighborhood the Bermuda Triangle. And the reason we called it Bermuda, it was actually called that before I called it that. It, there was no telling. It was just an unpredictable setting. There was nothing that, pe any magic recipe to get out. So, you know, can you imagine that learned hopelessness and helplessness that comes from something like that? But anyway, when my dad left, mom and dad were married, uh, five children. Dad woke up one day and decided he didn't want that anymore. And he left. That middle-class lifestyle that we had when dad was there became inner-city poverty overnight. Now, my mom could have went home to the farm with her parents, but my mom is a very independent, uh, autonomous, sometimes ornery person. <laughs> and uh, she, she wouldn't go back. So we went to the inner city, and people were taking things from me and trying to pick on me. And my grandfather never went to public education. So he told me if anybody ever tried to bother me, I was supposed to give it to them so good that they would never do it again. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that, that's kind of where I was as uh, a, a young person. And um, so when a teacher looks at me and they say, I don't see color, so to speak, let's start there. I don't see color. Well, then in essence, you don't see me. Mm. So one of the things that I learned is it's not necessarily about being color blind as much as it is about being color brave. So I took those concepts and those ideas and I looked at a bigger problem. How, how can I apply this to a place that we are having some really grave issues 
And at that time, it was law enforcement. It was the, it was the overreach, often, of law enforcement. And when I say overreach, there are people that say the structure in and of itself is bad. And, you know, I think there's merit in that, but there's more merit in understanding that they're bad apples. And then when I say bad apples, there are people that say, oh, you, you, that, that's letting people off the hook. Well, guess what? This has been my life's research. I'm not the guy that raised my hand and said, hey, I'm going to do research on diversity, equity, and inclusion and go do seminars. So this is what I do. This is where I live. So when I say bad apples, I mean, I can back it up. I mean, bad apples. There, there's some professions that just can't have bad apples. Education is one. We can't have bad apples. I travel for a living. Um, I never want my wife to get a phone call that says, uh, Mrs. Brown, your husband was in the crash of flight 415. He had the one bad apple pilot in the fleet. We can't have bad apple pilots. So we certainly can't have bad apple law enforcement. But when I say bad apples, apples don't just occur. Apples fall from trees or are picked from trees. We're the trees. Dustin, we're the trees. Every individual in society, we're the trees. So what I say is, as concerned as we are about the White House and the state houses, what if we were really that concerned about our own houses, getting our own houses in order? As the trees, getting those apples in our homes in order. That's where I believe this starts. I knew this was going to happen to us because I'm going to go off 10 changes. Like, I want to circle back. I want to go forward. I want to go left. I want to go right with you. And I think uh, something you just said, uh, I was I was home uh, for the uh, spring break holiday recently, uh, seeing my parents because we've all been vaccinated and we wanted to see each other. It's been forever since we've been able to fellowship together. And so uh, coming back and having the normal conversations and talking about people's opinions on politics and everything else that we've missed from family. Uh, I, it's always thrown me off when we're always outward focused of, oh, that world's going to end because of this. It is so refreshing to hear you say it's what, what would life be like if we just reflected on ourselves? Can you expand a little bit more and make that a richer topic other than just. Yes, yeah, certainly. Okay. Certainly. Okay. I'm going to go to the self-reflection piece after the app. So I say that I say we're the trees in our homes. And why would I say that in reference to everything that's going on in society? Because it's in my home, Dustin, where if I overhear an off-color joke or an off-color remark coming from my family, yep. that's when I address it. Yep. I can, I can say, tell me what makes that funny. I can also say, do you know that it's actually offensive to this group or that group? So that's what I mean when I say we're the trees in our homes. Now, when I talk about self-reflection, you know, the inner me, if you're not focusing on the inner me, guess what we're all going to look for? An enemy. And that's just human nature. We're going to look for someone to blame for whatever it is that we're carrying. If I mean, we, own, we own houses, we own cars, all sort of material things. But it's so much for a human being to like own responsibility and accountability sometimes for the very things they do think or carry. So to, to make this richer, it would mean that we all carry stuff. We, we, everybody you meet is carrying something. And if you don't address your, um, your I, I guess, what would you call them? Your rejections yep. in life, they'll eventually become projections in life on other people. 
But we bleed on people that, who didn't cut us. And if we bleed on people who didn't cut us, guess what? That, that's really what's happening in society right now. You know, I, I talk to people. I, you know, I'll get on the plane. I'll sit down beside someone with my headphones on as an introvert. <laughs> I may not even be listening to anything. I'm just saying, I just want some time, you know, a little quiet time. And they'll tap me <laughs> and I'll say, hey, how you doing? And we get in the conversation. And the person will immediately start talking about something that they're really passionate about. You know, they're zealots of all stripes. And as I'm listening, I, I hear the angst in it. I, I, sometimes I can even feel some, feel some resentment. And whenever I ask about whatever it is, every policy they want to talk about or person in politics, I might just say something like, um, so tell me, what, is, what, what issue do you really support that that person, you know, touts? And they really can't tell me. So what I think when it comes to things like hate, I think hate is strangely seductive. So that if you're carrying stuff, I mean, everybody, nobody wants to carry stuff. I mean, bad stuff, you know, like children. If, if children don't talk it out, they end up acting it out. Adults are the same. Yep. So you, 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 you'll find something that you can latch on to, some issue, some movement. And if that movement allows you to throw rocks at people, then... You know, so be it. You you have a catharsis. It may not be an adaptive catharsis, but, but you but you have something which you're getting rid of some of that angst that you have. So self reflection is is the key. People want an easy way out. They they want a book study. You know, they want a professional learning community. They they want all these other external things to do it for them. Yeah. So that's the question. Is so I have two two parts here. Is how what does healthy self-reflection look like and then on the second uh side of this like um for me i mean this is a place we talk about change starts here doc that this is a place where change is messy right we have all sorts of failures and we're just honest about where we are right uh constant struggle in my life even as of today when i'm talking to my wife this morning just about the week and my anxieties and all of that i feel even though I don't know, I'm not saying I'm the best at self-reflection. When I self-reflect, I oftentimes can stay in the, oh man, this is really bad, right? To where it creates a pause before I can really act. Not a good pause, a long pause of like, oh, I don't know, like almost paralysis, right? right. So what's healthy self-reflection look like? And what tips do you have for folks like me who may struggle with too much reflection or not. I don't think there's such thing as too much reflection, but reflection that, that can cripple you, I guess. Okay. I think healthy self-reflection would look like the concept of unconditional love that we preach about giving to other people, but it would be giving it to yourself. Hmm. So being able to accept your darkest moments, your darkest moments, the, the worst things that you've ever done to yourself and others, and forgive yourself for them. That's healthy self-reflection. It's it's giving yourself unconditional love and acceptance. You know, however, that conversation is often directed towards thy neighbor as opposed to thyself. Yep. So, so I, I would say that look at those darkest, you know, oftentimes, like you're talking about my, um, my Vita. That's my highlight reel. I mean, do you know all the things that happened for me to become a young tenured professor, uh, what that did to my marriage, you know, in research and, and thinking that, uh, let me work right now, hon. But once I'm finished, we're going to fun it up. 
<laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, um, my wife needed attention throughout. And so th there were things that, that, that didn't work. Like you say, were, were extremely messy. So the self-reflection that I had to, I look in the mirror and say, hey, um, there's some things that I didn't balance well. There's some things that actually might have helped me on an, in an outward uh, setting, but it hurt my family. And, and I had to own it. I had to apologize. Well, I had to actually share it with them that, hey, I apologize and I own this. Afterwards, I had to forgive myself because oftentimes, you know, we beat ourselves up. You know, you and I will have a wonderful conversation and that conversation isn't the courageous or at least the most courageous conversation. The most courageous conversation anybody's ever going to have is a conversation with yourself. So your words to me, I mean, should, uh, I mean, the words to yourself should like be 20 times greater <laughs> than what you're giving to me. And, and that's, that's my opinion on true, uh, unconditional love for oneself. Yeah. You, uh, again, if people don't follow you on Instagram, I really think they should for lots of different reasons. But, uh, I think there was a quote you had up there recently that talked about, uh, self-talk and it was like you're listening can you you know what i'm talking about right like i i'm gonna slaughter it so i figured i could just throw it up there for you tell oh, me yeah. tell me why that resonated with you and tell me how you know again let's just focus on me i'll be selfish today how, how can it help me okay well be careful what you what you uh say because your mind is listening <laughs> right and you know my dissertation that's what that was about it wasn't paper and pencil it was a psychophysiological study so i've been thinking this way a long time that whatever we think the body hears yep. in fact like i think i just read maybe 95 percent of the physical ailments that we experience as human beings can be correlated to the experience of negative emotion yep. so if there's ever a time to truly be positive to oneself and and, and and i'm not talking about toxic positivity this is another word phrase that people are running with guess what i'm a clinical psychologist I'm not happy happy joy joy but there is a difference between happiness and joy that people should understand you know happiness you know have you seen the tweets happiness is an inside job you know and people retweet it well it's not an inside job happiness is based on people places things or events correct yep absolutely that's, a, that's an outside job Joy, on the other hand, is based on an acceptance, unconditional self-love, uh, an acceptance of who you are, how you are, and what you are. Or my grandfather's terms, the world didn't give it to you and the world can't take it from you. So happiness would say because of, joy would say in spite of. So the fact that I'm able to be on this podcast with you today, giving you my best in spite of, everything that's going around me in the world, the news briefs, the fact that my wife was recently diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. My youngest daughter a month ago had her 10th brain surgery and my mother's in rehab uh, from uh, stent surgery and um, toes amputation. So how am I able to give you my very best? It's not happiness, it's joy. And that comes from self-reflection that doesn't come from external that joy comes from an acceptance of who you are how you are and what you are and when, and when people have that things can go better out of it 
So, I mean, first off, I'm, I'm sorry to hear uh, what you're battling with, but I, I think, you know, and again, you're a very trans, you, you know, transparent person. And so I, it's, it's refreshing to know all that you accomplished and you filling in the gaps of, yeah, but it's been messy and I've had to apologize and seek forgiveness and support and all of that. Um, one of the things that I've, I've gotten some uh, like exchange with listeners before is when we talk to guests who are as talented as you, um, and you're talking about not toxic positivity. And I really appreciate that you hit that one out of the park and put it to the side because a lot of people think, oh, great. You know, we got Doc Brown just smiling as ever. He's working out now. He's doing all that. Oh, great, Doc. Um, you know, there are days or weeks where it just, you feel uplifted, no wrong. You know, you feel like one of those cartoon characters with a bird on your shoulder and you're just singing. But then there are days that, like you said, like that are weeks that everything feels like it's on top of you. What are the habits that you put into place or you try to keep in place, right? Um, to help you tap into that joy on a daily basis, regardless of your emotions. Gotcha. Well, I, I, I try to have routines. Um, I wake up early and waking up early in my household was something that was really important being a father to eight. Um, because once back to that, <laughs> by the way. you're not getting off. That. <laughs> so when you wake up close to the time that everyone else wakes up, you belong to them. Yeah, I mean, it's dad, mom, dad, mom. So literally two to three hours, uh, 4am, I would get up, just have quiet time, do whatever I needed to do to get in my zone, working out has been a huge part of my life uh, since six years old in a boxing gym. Um, but there's some other things because, you know, I can tell you about my routine and make it sound like, you know, it's, it's like perfect things happening, but it, it, it doesn't. I prefer to use some of my excess resources in life to buy my time. Mm. And when I say that, it's like um, things that would normally take me a lot of time to do that I may have the resources maybe to hire someone to complete that task for me that I may have more time to spend doing the things that are more important. And that's like my family, spending time with my family, being home. Um, I do do something that's really, uh, I tell you where my routine broke down here recently. Um, my wife having side effects from chemotherapy. And I would I'd stay up with her and make sure that she was okay. And so my, my routine at night, flossing my teeth, um, I was too tired. I mean, I literally, I was just like, you know what? So the bad part about uh, a routine and habits is just the way you started. If you stop doing it long enough, that too will become a habit. So, so um, I went to the dentist uh, for a cleaning and my cleanings are relatively close or have been here lately. So my dentist says to me, she says, you think of your uh, dental cleaning like most people think of manicures and pedicures. I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, it, this, is, this is a time, this is something when I'm exhausted at night and it's not just flossing, it's your water pick. It, it's your routine, your, your nightly routine. Sometimes I'm just too exhausted. And that's big, that's a big deal. Self, that self-care is a big deal. Um, however, it was something that I knew that, hey, you know what? I can make an appointment 
and uh, they'll help me. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I think the habits to your, your point of when times are great, times are rough, it's really important to set that down. And one thing I continue to notice is that people who are changing the lives of many are seizing the day from an early standpoint, right? Like you said, it may not be 4 a.m., but at least two to three hours before anybody else in your world gets up so that they don't own you, you're getting in front of your day, which I appreciate. Matt, I, I've been sitting here, uh, a lot of my friends have two kids. My wife and I had our third about seven, almost eight months ago. And we're sitting here thinking, oh, it's retired. We've got this, we've got that. Eight kids, do y'all sleep? Kids. Has it been ever since oh, your wife slept? <laughs> They're uh, all young adults. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so the oldest is uh, 32. The youngest is 18. The 18-year-old still causes uh, a little bit of uh, restless nights. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I tell you, Dustin, I think two, one, two children were tough, three tough. Uh, after about four, everybody takes care of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... So if someone, if you hear something, something fall and then someone starts screaming and all you hear, you know, many feet running to see what happened. So you don't have to run. You just kind of like wait and say, Hey, what happened? And you know, everybody has a version, but <laughs> yeah, everybody takes care of everybody. Uh, I'm not sure my bride's going to uh, take that advice and keep pushing past, but I appreciate the encouragement. Um, a question I have that uh, I thought was interesting, you know, just messing around on your site, getting to know who you are, what you're about. You have these wheelbarrow pens, and I did not ask you about this last time. What what is it about? You know, there's three or four different options. If I want to have something that represents you and your message, it's wheelbarrows. Can you tell us what the heck that's about? Sure. So whenever I got in trouble in the inner city, my grandfather would send for me. My grandparents would send for me, and I'd go to the farm. Uh, my grandfather would always listen to me. He would always uh, also work. Um, but whenever I would have tears in my eyes, he'd pull out the wheelbarrow, and in, in his words, Dustin, he'd say, "Come here, get in this here wheelbarrow, and let me learn you something." Those were his words. Um, and I'd get in the wheelbarrow, and he'd push me as fast as he could right up to the creek, and, and then he'd turn before we have a chance to go in. And I always knew he was going to do it, but he'd like sometimes get a little closer than others. Grandma always knew when I was in the wheelbarrow because tears are supposed to dry out like this. Mine would always drive to the side. So that wheelbarrow in my life has become a simile to the fact that everyone needs a temporary lift. Regardless of who you are, Superman, everybody needs a temporary lift now and then. And my grandfather did it so incredibly well that I knew he may, he may not have known the operational terms, of enabling and empowering, but he practiced it. So there were times where I tried to feign a cry to get a longer ride. Like, mm -hmm. he's like, okay, get out, you're okay. I was like, how does he know? <laughs> so he would only give me a temporary lift. It wasn't, he wasn't gonna push me around on that farm all day. And I did want him sometimes to do that. So the wheelbarrow pin uh, is basically a simile for everyone needs a temporary lift. So there are different ones, whether you're in corporate America. There's a, I think a silver wheelbarrow that everyone needs a temporary lift. You know, don't be that CEO or CFO that tells people to get over it. 
be that one that says, hey, I'll help you get through it. You know, have a wheelbarrow for your employee. Have your wheelbarrow for your uh, colleagues. Same with students, for teachers, educators. Every student should be in your wheelbarrow. Your wheelbarrow should look like a miniature United Nations. So um, having an inclusive wheelbarrow. I tell people that diversity is often in life a given, but inclusion is a choice. So look at your wheelbarrow. Look at who you're picking up. And the wheelbarrow isn't necessarily just that. It's not like you're just picking up people. The wheelbarrow is like about relationships. Who are you waving at in class? Who are you fist bumping? Who are you, who are you touching? That's the wheelbarrow. So explain that uh, a little bit further. Uh, you said the, the difference between diversity and inclusion, right? You said inclusion is a choice. Uh, just dive into that a little bit and how do I make sure? Because I, I think when I hear that, going back to self-reflection, I think as my time as a teacher is, I'm pretty sure I was inclusive, but was I making the right choices? So tell me a little bit about your thoughts there. Sure. So when I say diversity is kind of a given in, in most places. Right. You know, there, there, there are places that I go where I may be the only person of color. Yep. And it's not as if this the, 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 the town has chosen to do that. It's as if it's built in such a way they don't have to go in the city. You know, they're self-contained. So in most places, when I say diversity is a given, sometimes, oftentimes we have to work on that too. But it's not just in, in our hue. Diversity is in language, age, race, religion. No religion, gender, education, disability, economic status, and sexual orientation. So, that, so when I say it's a given, it's not always things that you're going to see. It may be things that you're going to have to be curious about and learn. Inclusion, on the other hand, when I say inclusion is a choice, I'll go back to the wheel. If I'm only touching kids and fist bumping kids who, of course, unconsciously, um, I'm fist bumping kids who maybe look like me, or look like kids in my family. Or kids that I maybe smell good. You know, I wasn't a kid that smelled good early on. Um, <laughs> so if, if you're doing that, then that's really exclusive. It's not inclusive. Mm. So you, you have to make a choice. Look at what you're doing and be conscious. But to do that, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Everybody's carrying stuff. So to be present, purposeful, and intentional... You and I have to be on this podcast and I'm not, I, I can't be thinking about, you know, what's mom doing today? You know, it, you know, if, if mom's therapy that went well this morning, I can't be thinking about, you know, the million and one things that I have. I have to be present and purposeful and intentional. You know, our past is a place of reference and not residence. And many of us live in our past. So, so that's what, what, what we have to do. We have to be more conscious. So you say you may have done a great job. I would challenge every educator out there is to know if you've done a good job. Don't don't have, don't wonder. No. When 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 I'm <laughs> when I'm walking around an audience, uh, I just had an in-person event in Miami, Florida. So there was a guy at the front table. You know they they were spaced like ten feet apart. There was a guy at the front table. The minute I started, he was just like, you know, on the edge. He was on the edge of his seat. So I wanted to stand right there. You know, that's that's what we, I'm feeding off of him, he's feeding off me. And then immediately I said, you know what? There are other people in this room. I had to be conscious in my consciousness. I had to be conscious of what I was doing. And I moved. And, and I, guess what? I kept finding myself right back in front of him. Because that's what I was, I was 
when I would say a, make a comment, he was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was getting that. And it's been so long since I've gotten that. I've been doing virtual classes to blank screens most of the time. People have their cameras on. So I had to move around that uh, facility to make sure that I had to make a conscious decision to make sure that everybody in there, whether you were giving it to me or not, whether you kind of, you know, in your chair, daydreaming, I still had to make a conscious effort to make sure that you knew that you were welcome in my wheelbarrow. Well, when it, when it comes to that wheelbarrow right now, I mean, this has always been the case is one of the reasons why I, I do the job that I do is that I care so much about our educators and to make sure that we're serving and loving them really well and that they're operating with mission and joy. Um, what is something right now that you're seeing that our educators need more than ever to thrive right now, but as they head to the end of the year, getting ready for next year, what, what do our educators need? Self-care. Not the self-care that everybody's been talking about of, you know, the manicure, pedicure, massage. And, and, and granted, those things have their place. Um, I, I jokingly say that my wife has uh, been meeting a guy for like once a week during our marriage. The kids haven't met him. I haven't met him. You know, all we know is his name, Manny Petty. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I tell them they need the real self-care. And, and the true self-care is... Not pampering, but parenting ourselves. And when I say parenting ourselves, the same things that we would do with our children. Limits on ourselves, boundaries on ourselves. In education, not just in education, but in, in the work world today, it's become a badge of honor to be a workaholic. You, you know, we'll say things like, if, if we work together, Dustin, I would say, hey, Dustin, what time did you leave last night? Oh, hey, I left at uh, eight o'clock. And then I, my bragging point was, hey, I didn't leave until 1030. Yep. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and, 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 and we're acting as if, you know, that's, you know, we should, we're supposed to have accolades for that. When in fact, we know that if you're working that late, something in your life is suffering, something else, because you're not able to give everything that equal amount of attention. And even the research says that to be a content expert in any one thing, it takes 10,000 hours, not Googleplex, 10,000 hours. So if you're doing education all the time, you'll never be good at it. I believe that. When I see people going on vacation and they take put, uh, photos of the books, the educational, are you taking that on vacation with you? <laughs> really? I mean, so uh, anyway, so the parenting. Parenting ourselves would mean putting limits on ourselves. This is when I'm going to stop working. This is when I'm going to put everything away. Um, I'm not going to measure myself by how much I check off on my to-do list. I mean, these are real things that people do on a daily basis. Um, and I didn't find out about them through a book. I found out about them as a clinician when people would come in and their self-value was based on not necessarily who they are, but what they did, you know, how much they accomplished. And, you know, and there's so many different measuring sticks out there. Uh, you know, the kids are using how many followers you have, how many likes you get. Uh, adults are using, you know, where, what's your zip code? Uh, how much, what's your salary? What's your title? How many letters do you have after your name? So, you know, all those things are really empty when it comes down to it. So that true self-care would be parenting ourselves. And like, and what do parents do? 
We guard and protect our children. We guard and protect. How about guarding and protecting ourselves? Yeah, it's so hard. It's funny how you said that. I still remember uh, teaching as well as working at the school district and other things. Uh, it was a badge of honor. How late did you stay? I was up early. I got, you know, I was there late. I have a, a person, uh, a team member of mine who is really thoughtful. Um, June's really thoughtful about checking in to make sure that we are going to sleep. We are spending time with our family. We are prioritizing the important things so that we could, to your point, be fully present when we're there for work and be fully present with our families and friends when we're not at work. Um, you know, I, I think one, one, one thing I want to say, and we'll see if you're open to this, I think we need to create a recurring guest segment for you just to continue to come back because I know there's so many topics we can dive into. I have scratched a third of what I wanted to talk to you about after our last call. So I think we're going to have to figure that out. Um, one question I do have is if you go on your, your Instagram, you've started this really um, uncut conversation. Uh, I think it's called in the balcony. Is that correct? Yeah. And I, you know, I've only listened to some snippets of it, obviously at this point. Uh, what is that about? What called you to do this and who's it for and how are you helping people through that? Okay. Uh, way back, uh, a German psychoanalyst by the name of Sigmund Freud talked about two types of people. He said you're either a basement person or a balcony person. And basically what he was talking about, basement people have these unresolved con unconscious conflicts that just takes them to the murky waters of the basement of life. On the other hand, the balcony people were people who kind of work through their stuff and just the law of gravity allows them to ascend to the balcony. Now, in life, you know that as much as we would want things to be black and white, you know, we live the majority of our lives in the gray. So, you know, even though I talk about the balcony, you know, it's hard to maintain it. And the balcony life basically means we're unpacking our stuff on a regular basis, on a daily basis, so that we can ascend personally but we can also help others to ascend. Um, basement people, on the other hand, we don't judge them, we understand them. And these are people who are just carrying the weights of the world and they don't necessarily have the coping capacity or strategies to empty those back, that baggage. So these are the people who wake up every day looking for opportunities to be offended. These are the people who you ask, how are you? You know, you maybe only ask them once because of the, <laughs> the response that you get from them. Next time you just say you high, <laughs> so 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 in the balcony is just uh, it's just that uh, it's it's a good space to be. It's uh, where we basically just to start. We're trying to be the best people that we can be. Just and, and my grandfather's saying term, he called you good people. That was the highest compliment he could give you. And we wear these balcony bands. And these balcony bands are actually science. Um, they were developed, or the band idea was developed from cognitive psychologists. Thought stopping. Whenever you have an invasive negative thoughts, things that you don't want, snap your band. And, and that, wait, and that, and that's, that, a, that's actually like cognitive psychology. There's a, uh, yes, a gentleman who yes. was, um, uh, he played basketball at UNC, but I got lucky enough in Tallahassee, Florida, growing up with them being like a coach. And he taught me to have a rubber band on my yes. hand. So that every time I did something that like I wish I had done, that's a thing. I just did it because Coach Taylor no. told me I need to do it. Michael Jordan did it. Michael, jo Michael <laughs> Jordan, used, he used to do it with a, uh, a wristband that was like on his elbow. Yep. Because he would say he'd, he'd be on a fast break and he knew that he was going to you know, make the dunk. 
But in his mind, he said he was getting thoughts that he was going to miss. Mm. So his sports psychologist would tell him, "Yeah, this it's a real thing. It's a it's called thought stopping." So basically, what we do, it, and it's and it's really fun when you just don't do it by yourself, yeah. like your spouse, because sometimes you know we can't see ourselves. So my wife popped mine uh, about a year ago. I got checked in TSA. You know, I, I was, I, you know, I'm like, well, you know, okay, here we go. And as soon as I kind of made a face, she came over and just snapped my band. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, okay. 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 I know this is to make us safer. So, so yeah, it's uh, it, it works. So that's that's being in the balcony, and it's for anyone. It's yeah, anyone. I, it, it, the the short amount of time I've been able to experience it. One, your shirt. The one time I got to. I mean, I, there's a couple of them, but your shirt one time was amazing. The setup. What I really do appreciate is, you know, right now. I mean, this is who you are. The, the all the books and all the research you've done. But I do think it's incredibly intentional how you switch up the vibe of what your backdrop is and your like gold microphone that I'm incredibly jealous of. I've got this guy. I promise you, once you leave today, we're talking to our team about I want Doc's gold mic. Um, but it's the the vibe is just very laid back, very cool. You you know bring real people on to have real conversations, and I just appreciate it. I, I wasn't sure what the the bigger view of it was, but. It's really refreshing to be in a group of folks who are having real conversation about real challenges with the goal, now that you describe it very well, of being in the balcony as people. That's right. And it's on a Sunday night. So we start the show by actually taking a celebratory toast. Yeah. Whatever, be whatever beverage you bring is okay. But it's, it's, we're celebrating the fact that we made it through the week. Yep. And then we, then we toast to say... Um, for the upcoming week, may you grow through what you go through. So we're not saying that you're not going to go through things. May you look at opportunities and 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 the grace in those things to grow from it. So, um, you know, I, I, it's just something that people like yourself. Um, I've talked to people that did podcasts uh, on top of their nine to five, so to speak, and they told me that the hour or two that they spent with the podcast like one of their favorite things they did in the week and i'm finding that too yeah <laughs> i bet um so before we leave again I, i'd say everyone should just try to peek at that because i think it's uh incredibly inspiring what is one piece of advice that's just on your heart right now uh, as you look at the world or you look at your last year or even just a conversation you've had recently what's one bit of advice that you could have for all of our listeners right now that you'd like to share I'd like to tell everyone as much as we want to learn about what's going on around us, you know, the different terms that are coming into play, equity and diversity and just all the things that are happening. I, I would warn people that a book study is great. Uh, professional learning communities are great. But if they're going to read a book, I would recommend reading a book called The Mirror. And um, the author is the individual himself. Well, Doc, um, thank you. 
by the way. Thank you for making time for us. But more importantly, thank you for just uh, answering the call every time it's come your way. And I'm sure if we had more time, you would tell us the number of times you may have chickened away from it or run away from it, uh, as any of us would do. Um, but uh, thank you for first answering the many calls you've had along the way for the research and to dive deep into the content. But now uh, the call in the way of you sharing that with as many people as humanly possible, because it's definitely, you know, if nothing else uh, today hit me where I needed it. So and I'm positive it did that for our listeners. So I hope you'll consider coming back with us uh, at some point. Right. In the future. I will do my best between now and then, you know, I tried to wear a bright color shirt. <laughs> it's the brightest shirt I've got. Doc. I tried my hardest. It's a little chilly here right now. So I tried my hardest. Uh, I will great. do my best to uh, be in the balcony with you with some sort of vibe for our next one. And we can talk about uh, one of your kids' music careers. We can talk about your kids and your super talented, uh, I think, karate career. Um, so we've got a lot of other off the wall subjects, but it would be an honor to have you back. So I appreciate you giving us time today. I will be honored to come back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, have a great day. Appreciate you, Doc. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.